and welcome back to Koala Moon, a podcast of original children's bedtime stories and meditations designed to make bedtime a dream. We're getting very cosy here in Coco's Clubhouse, so let's all budge up and make space for our special newest members. Hi, Yuani, Jasmine and Pup Milo, Petra and her teddy, Carrot, Axel, Aurora, Elsa and Max, Bodie, Hextall, Liam, Georgiana, Sydney, Charlie and Betty. Thank you and your furry friends for joining us and following the podcast. Before we begin, a quick message for the grown-ups. If you'd like to support our podcast, enjoy ad-free listening, unlock four bonus stories per month and much, much more, you can join Coco Club. Subscribe in just two taps via the link in the show notes. But now here's a quick word from our sponsors. It's a lovely evening to join as we're heading back to the villages of upper and lower starry skies. Or more precisely, to the space between them, where we will find the bookshop neither up nor down. So snuggle down into your bed. Maybe have a little yawn or stretch. Get all your wriggles and jiggles out because you'll want to be quiet and ready to listen straight away. This story is beautiful. Okay, it's time to meet a boy called Sam. Sam's on a mission to discover what the books get up to once the sun sets and the bookshop is closed for the night. Relax a little more and we'll go and we'll find out. It's time to begin. The Storytelling Books, Octopus Dreams, by Jane Thomas. If you stand on the western edge of Sleepy Forest and look up at the village on the hill, you'll be able to see upper starry skies. If you look very closely, there's a line of old oak trees that lead down the hill. Go nearly all the way to the bottom and you'll see the church steeple rising above even the highest treetops. And if you keep going, there's lower starry skies. Of course, you can't see that if you're standing by Sleepy Forest at all, as it's set in a valley. But perhaps you can see the little buildings that are both halfway up the hill and halfway down the hill, between the two villages. There's one with a blue door and a smart blue front and that's the wall shop. And next to it, there's one with a red door and a smart red front. And that's the bookshop, neither up nor down. Keep looking at that red front door because very soon, just before closing time, a little boy is going to walk down the hill from Upper Starry Skies and he's going to go in there. There he is, heading down past the trees, disappearing and reappearing on each side of the wide trunks. It's getting dark, as the sun has already slipped over the horizon, leaving only a soft orange glow in the sky, and the silhouettes of trees in the church, and the little boy with his hands in his pockets. He's called Sam, and in order to appear as casual as possible, he's having a little whistle to himself as he walks along. Sam, you see, is on a mission this evening. He wants to find out what happens in bookshops at night. He's heard rumours of books taking themselves off the shelves and wandering around, 
lazing on the oh-so-soft sofas and comparing pages with other books. He doesn't really believe this happens, of course, but he has sometimes found books in very strange places in the bookshop, as if they've slipped down behind a table and not quite been able to clamber back onto their spot on the shelves. Tonight is the night he's going to find out if it's true. He has everything planned. See his little backpack? In there, he has four marmalade sandwiches carefully wrapped up in paper, just in case he gets hungry in the night while he's waiting to see the magic. He has a little torch, because even though there's a full moon tonight and the skies are clear enough to show a thousand stars already starting to twinkle, he wants to be sure to see everything there is to see. And he has a huge warm blanket that his grandmother knitted for him. Each square a different green or blue or turquoise that show the different moods of the sea. The bookshop is always warm during the day, even in the depths of winter, because then the log fire is lit and it makes the entire shop the coziest, snuggest place Sam has ever known. But he isn't so sure it will be warm at night. He also has a flask of hot chocolate and a little pot that he's filled with tiny marshmallows to balance on top when he pours a cup. If he could, Sam would live off hot chocolate and the little pink and white clouds of marshmallows. There, did you see? Sam slipped into the bookshop. You may not have noticed because he opened the door very, very slowly so as not to disturb the bell that hangs above it and cheerfully announces the arrival of new customers. Sam works in the bookshops on Saturday afternoons, and his boss thought the mission the most marvellous idea. He agreed to lock up as normal, so as not to arouse suspicion among the slumbering books, but not before Sam had snuck in. He would hide behind the tallest shelves right at the back of the shop and stay in the bookshop all night to see if what he'd heard was true. Sam tiptoes his way to the back of the shop, past the very serious non-fiction books that are large and hardback with important-looking covers, past the travel books covered in colourful photographs of far-off lands, past the gardening books decorated with enchanting possibilities for kitchen windowsill gardens and gardens that reach into an impossible distance and back towards the books about space. The covers of these books are all dark and have silver lettering and silver stars and some have swirling whirls of the Milky Way. Others show the Earth as a tiny green and blue ball drifting in space. Sam loves these books the most. One day, he hopes to be an astronaut and fly to the moon. For one thing, he wants to find out for sure whether or not the moon is made of cheese. And for another, he likes the idea of sitting on the moon and watching the world from afar, spinning and turning quite happily without him. Sam's next-door neighbour is an old man named Gabriel and he has a really powerful telescope that he sometimes lets Sam look through. And with it, Sam can get so close to the moon, 
he feels as if he can almost step into the craters and touch the rocks. He isn't really quite sure that the sea of tranquility isn't a sea at all, because it does look so much like a sea. Sam slips behind the highest shelf at the back and breathes as quietly as he can, waiting for the bookshop owner to switch off the lights and close the door. He takes a long, slow breath in, then holds it for a few seconds before letting it out in a long, slow, silent exhale. Breathe in. And breathe out. Breathe in. And breathe out. Coco the bookshop cat appears and winds her way around Sam's legs, softly purring and asking to be stroked. He sits down slowly and quietly, and Coco leaps into his lap, settling down to snuggle against his warm body and purring contentedly as he strokes her fur and tickles her ears in a gentle, easy rhythm, all the time slowly breathing in and breathing out. There is a small sound next to him, and Sam turns to see a book easing its way off the shelf. The book happily falls to the floor and stands up, spreading its covers wide to make it easier to walk. Another book follows, and another, and another, until dozens of books are walking across the shop floor. Some books stop as if to greet each other, flicking their pages to show off their words and pictures. As Sam watches, the books start heading towards the very centre of the shop, where there are sofas piled high with cushions that are set around the log fire in the winter. Although now, in the height of summer, the hearth is filled with vases of fresh flowers. The serious, non-fiction books are taking advantage of their height and breadth and creating a series of steps for the smaller books to climb up. And soon... The sofas and chairs and rugs and beanbags are covered in books of all shapes and sizes. The books have made a series of steps that lead all the way to the mantelpiece, and up those steps, very slowly indeed, moves an old book. The bookshop has a special glass cabinet behind the counter where very old books live together protected from too much sunlight and too much heat or too much cold. And Sam knows these old books are very valuable indeed. Probably, he supposes, because they must be very wise and contain some very important ideas since they lived for such a long time. The old book moving its way towards the mantelpiece has gold lettering on its spine and gold paint on the edge of its pages. And Sam can see when it pauses and lets its pages flutter for a moment that there are pictures inside too. And each picture comes with a special piece of tissue paper that sits on top of it. The old book 
finally reaches the top and edges its way carefully to the very middle of the mantelpiece and then leans back against the wall with a sigh. And all the other books stop their fluttering and flickering of pages and look up at the old one. Well, the old book announces in a voice that wobbles and cracks a little with age. We just finished hearing the wind in the willows read her story aloud, and what a beautiful story that was. Thank you. So, who do we have next? Who wants to tell us the story they have, wrapped up safely in their pages? Some of the books seem to stretch up their spines and reach as high as they can, asking to be picked by the old one on the mantelpiece. I have a story about cars, says one. It's very exciting. I'm not sure, says the old book slowly, that I'm in the mood for much excitement this evening. Does anyone have a gentle sort of story they could share? Many of the books stopped stretching their spines and settled back in their places on the cushions, looking around at the others to see who might take part in tonight's reading instead. A small picture book shuffles forwards and suggests perhaps her story would be right. Children really love listening to my story, she says, and often I'm told they fall asleep as someone reads my pages to them. Many of the books gasp, thinking of their chapter endings that are designed to be as exciting as possible, to keep people reading for page after glorious page until suddenly they have devoured an entire book in a single night. Some of the non-fiction books have a little chuckle to themselves, thinking that their words are so very important and so very precise that there is no way anybody could fall asleep while reading them. The little picture book suddenly feels a little awkward to have a whole bookshop of books looking back at her, but there's no getting out of it now. Everyone is waiting for her to read her story and show off her pictures. And she sits up as straight as she can and decides to do the very best job she can of sounding as magical and gentle as possible. There's a wonderful land that nobody knows, a magical place where nobody goes. And in that land are forests and streams and magical things seem only in dreams. This is the land where unicorns play, and under the sea are mermaids who sway. This is the land of fairies in flowers, and under the trees are pixies in bowers. The little book looked up to see if all the others were listening, and she saw that all of them were turned and hanging on her every word. She turned her pages as quietly as possible 
to not break the spell. Clearing her throat, she carried on with her story. <clears throat> One day, an octopus swam a little further than he usually did, his eight arms pushing him slowly through the sea until he came to a place he really didn't know at all. He pulled himself up onto the rocks to take a look at the world above the water and saw something even more beautiful than the coral reefs he knew and loved. For the first time, he felt a gentle breeze brush across him and his face turned pink in the excitement of it all. For octopus, as I'm sure you know, change colour to show their mood. And this little octopus was quite definitely feeling in the pink in that moment. He saw the green of trees that were a green he'd never seen under the water. The seaweed often billowed around him in great soft swirls and was a glorious, gorgeous, never-ending green. But these trees were somehow a thousand greens, all at the same time. As the wind tickled their leaves, they turned this way and that, showing undersides that were lighter and topsides that were darker. Some of the trees seemed to be decorated with white candles and pink candles. And although they for all the world looked like little piles of marshmallows, even the octopus, who had never seen above the surface before, knew they must be very special flowers. He had heard of the candles of horse chestnut trees, and here they were, flickering in the breeze. Underneath one tree, he saw a unicorn, lying on her back and looking up at the sky between the leaves of the trees. The octopus didn't think unicorns really existed until that moment, and his arms turned all the colours of the rainbow in his excitement at seeing such a beautiful creature. The octopus climbed a little higher on the rock and for the first time in his life he saw a beach that wasn't under the sea at all, but that sat beside it and let waves wash over it and moves its sand up and down and back and forth in a way that made him draw his breath in time to the waves. Breathing in as the water reached up the beach and breathing out as the waves swept back into the sea. In and out. Up and down. In and out. Up and down. He sat mesmerised by the beautiful scene. And all along the beach he saw palm trees, their broad leaves rustling gently. And he saw bright yellow birds fluttering around the tops of the trees. 
the octopus had never seen a feather before. At least, he'd never seen a feather that wasn't damp and dragged together under the sea. And one of the birds flying over shook their wings extra hard, and a little yellow feather came out and drifted down towards him. A floating dash of sunshine that landed on his nose and made the octopus sneeze. His face glowed yellow where the feather had touched him, a happy memory of something new and wonderful. It would be very easy, the octopus supposed, to get used to seeing things like feathers and leaves and waves, the way he was quite used to seeing mounds of plump red coral that looked like sofas and gardens of frilled blue coral and schools of turquoise-dabbled fish swimming past and crabs that danced their way along the bottom of the sea. But he looked at the feather sitting on the rock next to him, a little curl of yellowy perfection, and he promised himself never to forget this moment. The little book stopped herself again and looked up. The rest of the books were hanging on her every word. More books who hadn't left their places had shuffled to the edges of the shelves and were looking down, waiting to hear the rest of the story. She noticed that some of the small picture books had closed their covers and were fast asleep on the sofa. And some of the oh-so-very-important non-fiction books were covering up yawns and struggling to keep their eyes open. The little book smiled to herself, thinking of the thousands of times her story had helped put others to sleep and dream beautiful dreams. She turned to the final pages of her story and read them aloud as softly and gently and soothingly as she knew how, dancing lightly between the words and letting them drift like the feathers the octopus had been so enchanted by. For all the world is full of beauty, waiting to be found. Some see it in a passing scene, and others in a sound. Some share it in a picture, and others in a book. Some pass it on in music, or in a loving look. And at night, we should remember all the little tiny ways that we can find some beauty in all our live-long days. Perhaps it's just a feather, the way it floats and swirls, or watching leaves in autumn, their dances and their twirls. But when you see some beauty, Go on and share it with a friend, for by sharing out the beauty, it will never, never end. The old book on the mantelpiece 
looked down at the little book who had read her story aloud, and he smiled down at her. That was wonderful, he said. Simply wonderful. People have kept me around for hundreds of years because they think my words are very wise indeed. But your simple story is as wise as anything kept in these old pages of mine. The little book blushed and looked down at the ground, quite embarrassed by the praise from such an old and important book. Believe me, little one, the old book continued. All our stories are important. All our words give something new to the world. Anything that helps us find something beautiful in anything so small as a feather is surely extraordinary. The other books who were still awake flickered their pages back and forth in a slow rustling sound to show that they agreed with the wise words of the old book. All those who had fallen asleep were carefully pushed back towards the right places on the shelves by the other books, and then they climbed back into their own spots and nestled down next to each other to dream about feathers and coral gardens and unicorns and mermaids. And the bookshop owner came out from his hiding spot behind the counter. He hadn't wanted to miss out on the fun of hearing the books read themselves aloud. He smiled to himself as he gently reorganised some of the books that had been too sleepy to find the right spots and eased them into order so that customers the next day could find them. He looked over at the boy in the far corner of the shop, sound asleep under his blue and green and turquoise blanket, with a cat purring contentedly in his lap, and wondered if he should have woken him when the books started to move about for their nightly story sharing. But he decided that, after all, sometimes it is just fine to have dreams and ideas and not be completely sure if something is true or not. Like whether mermaids dance beneath the waves or if fairies live in flowers at the ends of gardens or if unicorns run with long white manes that flow behind them or if books come together by the light of the moon and share the stories nestled in their pages. <laughs>